You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. 500 years ago, on October 31st, sparks were unknowingly tossed on an empire, a spiritual empire of dry hay that was covered in gasoline setting the world and the church on fire with God's radical grace. We celebrate the Reformation on this 500th year anniversary, and this is Reformation Sunday, remembering this kind of keystone event that there in Wittenberg, Germany, a professor and a monk named Martin Luther wrote down 95 theses, 95 points of contention he had with the Roman church the church he was a part of, the only church that existed in this time, really. And he took them, nailed them to a door, this castle church door. And this is not a sign of, I'm ready to fight. This is a sign of, we need to talk about this. It was written in Latin for his fellow professors. So we need to discuss these problems that I feel like we have because I feel like we've corrupted the gospel. There are some major problems we need to talk about because the gospel was lost, overshadowed, corrupted, and forgotten. What was being taught in Luther's time and and throughout the church of Rome was that to go to mass, to go to the service, that was how you stored up righteousness and got righteousness for yourself so you could be accepted before God. To go to mass was the way to fortify and strengthen your salvation. Now, people were teaching that Jesus and his death and his resurrection and his righteousness and his grace, it was enough, but you just needed to go to mass to come and get it. Works were a good way to acquire it. You could go to Rome and look at the relics and see St. Peter's fingernail and see a twig from the burning bush and you could acquire more righteousness for yourself. And you have to remember that at this point in the world, you're either Catholic or you are nothing. That's it. And by Luther's time, something was happening that really set Luther ablaze. The church was teaching that if you wanted to secure your salvation, or if you wanted to speed up your time in purgatory, and purgatory was the place where they teach that your remaining sins are purged from you before you go to heaven. So if you wanted to get the Disney-like fast pass and get out of purgatory, you could buy a pardon. You could buy a little certificate from the Pope that says you can go ahead and spring out of purgatory. And they wanted these because they were trying to make some of their sanctuaries and St. Peter's Basilica a lot nicer. So they were fleecing the people. And you could buy them for your friends. You could buy them for your family. You could buy them for yourself. And they called them indulgences. And the church is selling them to the people because really the people, they don't know any better. They don't have Bibles like you and I do today. And there was a man, the man most famous for teaching this, was named Tetzel. And he would travel around the Catholic empire preaching the need for them that if you love your family, wouldn't you buy these? If you love yourself and your friends and those who have passed, won't you indulge and buy their pardon? And he had a little jingle. He would go from town to town And it was when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And Luther heard this, studied his Bible, and it it hit him. 
that what's happening in the medieval era church is just that, medieval. So when Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door, attacking the cell of these indulgences, a thunderbolt went throughout Germany and went throughout the church and went throughout the Roman Catholic church because by God's providence, guys, the printing press was invented around this time. And someone grabbed Luther's points. This wasn't his doing. They took them off of the door, translated them into German, took them to a printing press, which this super mega rich guy lived in Wittenberg and he, pay, he wanted a printing press because he was rich and rich guys buy lots of nice things. So this guy said, I want a printing press. They bought one, made it into German. And within two weeks, Luther's writings are all throughout Germany. And he's become the most famous man in Germany. And a copy of the 95 Theses arrived in the big wigs of Rome and in the church. And they read these and just laughed. Thought, this is just the ramblings of a drunk German monk. He'll be fine when he sobers up. But they didn't count on him not sobering up. He was buzzing on the grace of God because the righteousness of Christ and the goodness of God's mercy so got down into his heart, got down into his skin. Luther said, as he read the Bible and studying the gospel, it was like he was transported into paradise and he encountered God's grace and he became famous overnight by writing these 95. And I just wanna show you three of the 95 where you can see. He says, every truly repentant Christian has a right to full remission of penalty and guilt, even without letters of pardon. So he's attacking the Pope and these indulgences. No one needs forgiveness from the Pope. Every repentant Christian has right to full remission without certificates of forgiveness. Next one, to say the cross emblazoned with papal arms. This is to say that a cross with the Pope's logo on it, which is set up by preachers of indulgences, is of equal worth with the cross of Christ is blasphemy. So you can see how him and the Pope didn't get along too well. The Pope called Luther a wild boar running through the church. Luther responded, well, you're the Antichrist. (laughs) And he was not kidding. He really, really believed that. He had some issues. We don't have time to go over all of those. And this last one, just to give you an example, the true treasure of the church, not the money you get from indulgences, not the relics, not the Pope, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. Luther never sobered up. He kept drinking on grace. He couldn't stop reading the Bible. He couldn't stop discovering God's grace. And now the city is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And now his works are everywhere and the people are rejoicing. And Luther said, what I do, what my mission is, is this. I teach that people should put their trust in nothing but Jesus Christ alone. Not their prayers, not their merits or their own good deeds. This sounds so commonplace to us, but this message had been lost. And by God's grace, Luther recovered it by the work of God, that Christ alone saves. Well, then the charge came down. The church wasn't going to let this go on. He was charged as a heretic and he had to be put on trial, put on trial by religious leaders and imperialists and all this stuff going on throughout the empire, put him on trial and told him, you must recant all of your works or you will be condemned to death. And church history says that he stood there You can see his works are there on the table and they're looking at them and he motions and he says, here I stand. I can do no other. Knowing this means my death. That last hymn we sang was Luther's. That the body they may kill, 
his truth abide still. And while being taken back home, go get his things and to go to jail and head to a certain doom, he's captured. Men and horses and masks and bows and crossbows and all the things medieval guys had show up and they kidnap Luther. They take him, but it was all staged. His rich friend kidnapped him, hid him in his castle, let his hair grow out from that weird monk haircut, (laughs) dressed him in knight's clothes, and Luther went to work, writing book after book, translating the New Testament from Greek and Latin into German. And now normal everyday people are reading the Bible for themselves. And everyone was rejoicing unless you were a part of the Roman Catholic Church. You were irritated. Luther went to another trial later. And when the Pope and other religious leaders came in, the crowd cheered a little bit. But when Luther came in, it was like Michael Jordan came in. It was like the most famous man in the world had walked into the room. The crowds are rejoicing. And as Luther's in this castle in hiding, writing and writing and writing, he writes a story called The Freedom of a Christian. And in this story, a debt-ridden prostitute is married to a wealthy king just because the king loves her. She can never make herself into a queen, but the king makes vows to love her. And when the king vows, he takes her as his own and takes on her debt and gives her a royal status and boundless riches. She didn't earn it. She couldn't buy it. She received it all even before learning how to act like a queen. But the king made a promise to her and her status was changed. Luther said, this is our story. This is Christianity. We are the debt-ridden prostitute and our king loves us. He makes a promise to us and he saves us. He takes our debt on the cross and he rises from the dead and he gives us a royal status and makes us royalty with him. Not indulgences, not mass, not popes, not merits. Righteousness comes by Jesus alone. Grace upon grace upon grace. And it's called the Reformation because Luther just wanted these guys, they just wanted to reform the church, to change it. But when the Roman church refused to change, Luther and a gang of gospel monsters said, so be it. We'll begin meeting according to God's word, not according to the Pope, not according to the councils. We're gonna meet according to the will of God and according to the word of God. And that was the secret sauce of the Reformation clinging to the word of God. Before Luther, others are pouring gasoline on the spiritual dry hay until Luther's hammer sparks flew off. There's a bunch of Johns up here. John Wycliffe and William Tyndale began translating the Bible into English for common people. And they told him to stop. This is illegal. And he said, it is my life mission that a boy pushing the plow will know the Bible better than all these religious leaders. You have a Bible in your hands and on your phone because men like Wycliffe gave up their life for you. Wycliffe was eventually condemned as a heretic. He had already died. And so when he was condemned as a heretic, they dug up his bones and burned them and scattered his ashes. But what's crazy about Wycliffe and Tyndale, especially Wycliffe's followers, what they did, since they already translated the Bible into English, there was, after his death, there were now secret meetings of Christians just reading the Bible, meeting at night, meeting illegally, and just gathering and reading the Bible for the first time themselves. Because before it was in Latin and it was chained to the pulpit. No one owned a Bible. 
and they were killed so you and I could have Bibles. John Calvin got serious about preaching the Bible, line by line by line, so much that he was preaching in one city where he was stationed as a pastor, and he left for about a year or two, and he came back and picked up right where he left off. John Huss fought for the church to be able to sing in the service. So you and I could sing together. He, he was condemned for that. Zwingli, this is no exaggeration. The Reformation began in, in Switzerland where Zwingli was because he wanted people to be able to eat sausages. He wanted you to be able to eat kielbasa during Lent. This is no joke. It's during Lent and his friends, you know, you're supposed to fast during Lent and they're starving, of course. And they're like, we're so hungry. What should we do? We got these new sausages. I just want to eat them. And Zwingli looked to their pastor and he says, you can eat them. It's not in the Bible. Lent's not in the Bible. You can eat. I won't because I still want to fast, but you are free to eat. And everyone went bananas. And he just said, it's not in the Bible. We can't ask people to do something that's not in the Bible. Condemned as a heretic. I mean, a collision of all of these events came together. And the reason why I say all this, why this volcano of grace matters 500 years ago, because this is your history. Anglicans, Baptists, Methodists, Mennonites, Lutherans, non-denominational, Acts 29, all of us, we trace our lineage to this era in history. Listen, we are able to meet the way we do because God used an agitated and irritated monk. Something got under his skin and it wouldn't stop burrowing deep. The gospel got a hold of him. Listen, listen beloved, our services... Everything you experience every Sunday is a fruit of the Reformation. Before Luther, before Luther and his hammer, only priests had Bibles. But now you do. Do not ever take it for granted. Before Luther, only priests would sing in the service. Imagine a Sunday service, just me and Kevin up here singing and you watching us. And then us singing in a language you don't even understand. This is what church was like, but now you can sing. So I'm grateful that people complain about songs in churches sometimes. I don't know if I like that song. Great, because before you wouldn't be able to complain about that. Before only priests took the Lord's Supper. Imagine just watching me take the Lord's Supper every week, but now you get to take it. Before sermons were done in Latin and the people didn't understand them, even some of the priests didn't understand them. They just memorized them and just said them. But now sermons are done in a language you understand. Whether you understand them or not is another thing. Friends, every Sunday, every given Sunday that we take for granted is a lightning bolt of grace from 500 years ago. Luther refused to give up the gospel because that one guy there, John Huss, when he was being burned alive, he said, you can, his last name Hus means goose in Czech. And he said, you can roast the goose, but a hundred years from now, a swan will rise up and he won't stop singing. And Luther, almost to the, almost pretty close enough, hundred years, Luther shows up and he believed I am that swan and I won't stop singing. I won't let us lose the gospel. And I figured a great way for us to celebrate the Reformation would be to celebrate God's radical grace in the book of Galatians. 
Luther's hammer and his writing, it thundered with the grace of God. And the book of Galatians is a thunderstorm of grace. Luther wrote, also wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians that was packed with sticks of dynamite and continued to blow up the world, to continue to blow up all of us in God's grace. Because in the book of Galatians, Paul battles the same thing Luther did and Paul battles the same thing we do today, fighting to hold on to the grace of God. Galatians is about God's radical grace that Christ alone saves. And what's happening in the book of Galatians is that false teachers are now invading the churches of Galatia and they're in modern day Turkey. And they're tr- these false teachers are tricking these Christians to add something to the gospel. If you want to really be a Christian, you want to really follow Christ, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow these Jewish ways of religiosity. So Paul steps in and says, no, circumcision doesn't save. Jewish works don't save. The way Luther stepped in and said, indulgences don't save. The reformers and Paul battled the same thing. And us too, in the Bible Belt, in a place where the gospel is so diluted and so watered down, it is our task to make the real gospel recognizable in Tomball and beyond. That we are not saved by our works. We aren't kept in grace by our goodness. You don't earn God's love by how much Bible you read. God doesn't love you more or less based on how much you pray or don't pray or on your day-to-day actions, but that we are saved and that we are kept by Christ alone. Galatians is a light against all the darkness of legalism because Galatians is about radical grace. And as we begin the book of Galatians today, we should receive this letter the way the churches in Galatia did. We're going to read all, we're going to read the whole letter today, all six chapters. This will be a tie for the best sermon I've ever preached. If you were here when we did Hebrews, I just read the whole book of Hebrews to start the series. And so we're going to read the whole book of Galatians today to celebrate the Reformation, to celebrate that we have this and that we can read it. And no, no Pope is going to email me and say, hey, I don't know if I like that. And I pray that just like the Reformation 500 years ago, that even today we'll undergo a personal Reformation. There was a phrase that they used called semper reformanda, always reforming. We need to be continually reforming around the gospel of grace, transformed and conformed by the truths of Christ. So I invite you to turn to the book of Galatians as we begin the 16-week study on God's radical grace. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. So if you don't have that, you can find it online. You can just even grab the pew next to you, or the pew Bible there on the ground next to you, and that's on page 1031. You can go to biblegateway.com. You can find it there as well. And I'm not going to ask you to stand, so you're good. <laughs> Beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. Paul an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, 
but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Am I stri- or am I striving to, be, striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I had advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. And I stayed with him 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. But privately to those recognized as leaders, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. But not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Now, from those recognized as important, what they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter for the circumcised, since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, They gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined in his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you 
who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew? How can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing. So then does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham who believed God and was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds as though referring to many referring to one and to your seed, who is Christ. My point is this. The law, which came 430 years later, 
does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise, but God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. So why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he, he differs in no way from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. And the same way also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. But in the past, since you did not know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You, you know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So then have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? They court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them but it is always good to be pursued in a good manner. And not just when I am with you, my children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. 
I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave, the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively. For the woman represents two covenants. For the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who, had a, who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the children born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son. For the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord, you will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. 
I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with this gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone, not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves. And yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all, to all those who follow this standard and mercy even to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Holy Father, may the grace of the most holy gospel be our true treasure. You set us free in your Son. When freed from the law, fulfilled now in Christ, we are now heirs by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So, Father, as we cry out through your Spirit, would you reform us around the grace of Christ? Transform us more into his image. As we leave today, as we live this week, as we follow you, 
our risen Lord. May your grace and not the works of the law be with us. May your grace define us and not our attempts to fulfill any kind of Bible Beltian righteousness. May we follow Christ by faith alone to the glory of God alone. We praise you, King Jesus. May the grace of Christ be with our spirits, our minds, our hearts. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.